Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, my friends. Wherever and whenever this ghost of my voice finds you, I hope you are well. Welcome to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-327. Today we have a great talk with Kyle and Brent Pease, who are a team of brothers that run races. I think you'll dig their story and get a kick out of their adventures. In the first section, I'm going to talk a bit about flexibility and range of motion. In the second section, I'm going to talk about Dr. Carol Dweck's book, Mindset. It's been a good couple of weeks since we last chatted. I'm recovered from my rolled ankle and running well. I've got a bit of a head cold today, so I apologize for the super sexy voice. I'm heading down to Atlanta this weekend, actually tomorrow, to run the Jeff Galloway Half Marathon. It will be a good test race for me. I'm planning to go out at marathon pace and try to pace it well with a a strong close. The weather looks reasonable. It's a hilly course, but that's okay. I need the work. I need the practice. I raced the Mills Cities Relay last weekend. It's a five-leg invitation-only local club relay race. I was the captain of a senior team. Uh, That means all over 50 men. The legs are all different lengths, but there's one long one, leg four, which is 9.5 miles, and that was my leg. We got perfect racing weather. It was in the mid-30s and sunny, no wind, so it ran a lot warmer than the temperature sounds. I raced in my short shorts, a long-sleeve tech with my club singlet over it, a fuzzy hat and a light pair of cotton gloves, and I carried a bottle of Ucan. Leg four is an entirely slight downhill route that follows the Merrimack River from Lowell to Methuen. And it's additionally challenging because the leg before it is only a two and a half mile leg. So you really don't have much time to warm up. You basically have to jump out of the car and go. So my plan was to pace it at near my target marathon pace of eight minute miles and then close it hard at the end to sort of mimic a step up or a negative split. But me being me, instead, I lit out like a cat with its tail on fire and was racing in the low sevens from the start. So once I got a couple of miles in, I managed to calm down a bit and came in with an overall average of 726s for the 9.5 mile leg. And I was happy with that because, like the Thanksgiving 5K, it shows that I've gotten some of my speed back. Yay. Uh, My legs are still the constraint. I was hurting in the last couple of miles with dead legs, and I wouldn't have made it much further. Someone took a picture of me out on the course, and my form is so crappy in the picture. I'm overstriding. So my quads were dead, and that wrecks your form when your quads are dead. With this additional data point, I have pivoted my workouts to longer tempo training away from the speed work. I got two more nine-plus-mile step-up runs in this week going into Sunday's race, and I'll see how marathon pace feels on the the old legs for the half. 
and that will give me a good idea of where I am at. If all goes well, we'll try to target a race in mid to late January to see if I can stretch it out to the full 42K. It's all good. I feel strong. The heart is hanging in there. I drove up to Buffalo, New York last week from where I live in Massachusetts. It's interesting to drive through upstate New York, Western Mass, New England in general, actually any place in the United States. A hundred years ago, this area was the center of industry and commerce, and each little valley has a town with a brick factory and a rail line and a courthouse, but there's not much industry anymore. I drove by the Erie Canal and many tumble-down farms and old buildings. And it's not to say that the area is super depressed or a wasteland or blighted in any way. It isn't. It just isn't industrial anymore. It's like a museum to the industrial age. But when I see one of those finely crafted brick buildings in the landscape, I see a person's dream, right? Someone had the dream and the persistence to put a factory there or a house or a barn, and they dreamed big, of a better future. They bet big on a big future, and they took leaps of faith and built without knowing what was going to happen. And I wonder where those people are today, Those that same type of person. You know, where are they that believe in growth and abundance, and who among us has the curiosity and drive to build something new on the landscape? And maybe it's me. Maybe it's you. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zones that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Range of Motion and Flexibility, Part 2 of Preparing for a Training Cycle. This is the second part in a series I'm doing on some things you may want to consider when getting ready for a hard training cycle or just up in your game or whatever. Last week, we talked about what good form is, how to practice it, and some drills to help achieve it. This week, I'm going to talk about flexibility and range of motion. And whenever we talk about running, the topic of stretching is going to come up. Many of us, including myself, hate stretching and don't do any on purpose. Many of us swear by one protocol or another as the secret to keeping us injury-free. What's the truth? First, the truth is that stretching and mobility in all its forms, like all things, is individual-specific. Your stretching and mobility needs will be different depending on what your goals are as a runner. They will change over time as you go through natural cycles and age. There's no silver bullet or one-size-fits-all. Why do you care about stretching and mobility at all? Well, if you are going to embark on a more serious campaign, stretching and mobility may be something you need to look at. First, for injury prevention, and second, for perhaps performance enhancement. Most of us come to a stretching routine when we get injured. Typically, this is when we have increased our mileage, our intensity, or done something different. We learn that stretching the offending tendon or working on range of motion in the joint or strengthening a weak area as part of our routine keeps the injury bug away. But what about performance? Does stretching help you run faster? That's an interesting question. The studies that have been done with elite runners actually show an inverse effect on performance and stretching. What? That's right. In the elites that were tested, stretching made them slower. Why? Well, it's theorized that the tightening of the tendons, the joints, and the muscles caused by running is actually a positive adaption. When you stretch, you counter that running-specific adaption. Now, does this mean you shouldn't stretch? No, not really. Unless you're an elite... The benefit of injury prevention probably outweighs a small decrease in the bounciness of your tendons during hard races, especially for longer distances where the snap of speed isn't that crucial. So what is range of motion and why do you care? Well, each one of your joints and muscles has a natural range of motion. 
If you are starting a hard training cycle where the goal is to get faster, you may have to adapt and change and improve your range of motion when you change to faster mechanics. Go watch a video of elite marathoners running. Look at how open and free-floating their hips are. Look at how high their leg drive is and how far back their kick goes. They're still running with great form, but they have opened up their range of motion to adapt to the speed and the effort. Fast runners have an incredible range of motion, especially in their hips. Those elites, they train and stretch and work on their stride every day. You probably don't. You probably do partake in activities that restrict your range of motion, like, let's say, sitting at a desk all day, driving, walking around in bad shoes. So the bottom line is that you may have to adapt your range of motion to fix some of the bad habits your life has given you and help you get that efficient stride and form. If you've ever looked into stretching routines, you may have found that it's not as simple as a few toe touches. There's different types of stretching. First is the most common, static stretching. This is known as the reach and hold stretching that most of us know how to do. And a perfect example would be the hurdler stretch, the static stretch where you lean forward and grab or touch your toe with a straight leg. And this stretches the hamstring in the back of the leg in this instance. Static stretching is good because it's very well known and it's easy to do. And it, but it can be bad because the muscle you are trying to stretch can activate and fight back, preventing the stretch from being effective. When you do a static stretch, you really have to focus on letting that muscle that you are stretching relax. You have to relax into the stretch. Another common stretching method that you may have heard of for runners is called active stretching. In active stretching, you use muscles to stretch muscles. This would be things like high kicks or butt kicks, any of those swingy exercises that you see people doing at the track, like when they swing their legs out and that sort of thing. Active stretching is a great way to warm up for a workout, and in many cases, it mimics a good running form. And exercises like high knees and exaggerated bounding, they build strength and they enhance your range of motion for running faster and more efficiently. There's also a form of static stretching that's known as passive stretching, where you use some sort of force or device to enhance the stretch. And there's also a great form of stretching called dynamic stretching, where you move into the stretch and cycle the stretch. And the best example I can think of for dynamic stretching is when I'm at the massage therapist and they help me with my hamstrings. And if you picture the therapist putting my leg up on their shoulder and lifting and leaning into a hamstring stretch, and they have me engage the hamstring and release repeatedly, they do that a bunch of times, they cycle through that muscle, and each time that stretch goes deeper. That would be dynamic stretching. So I'm not a physical therapist, and I'm not going to proscribe a stretching routine for you. What I am going to tell you is to find out what works for you and how do you do this. Well, first thing I would do is establish a baseline. Find a physical therapist or a massage therapist or someone who works with runners and buy an hour of their time to get an evaluation of your flexibility and your range of motion. They should be able to tell you where you need work, where you are at risk, and where you are weak. They should also be able to recommend some stretches for those areas. But take all that with a grain of salt. Everyone has their favorite solution or favorite protocol. Do your homework and try different things. Look on YouTube for examples, for instance. And as with form practice that we talked about last time, have a good running coach or running PT look at a video of you running and they will be able to spot weaknesses in your range of motion and flexibility. We all know that you are a one-of-a-kind special snowflake, but there are a number of very common things that will pop right out when someone watches you try to run or try to run fast. And once you have some guidance, find some simple routines that you can work into your daily and weekly practice and keep it simple so that you actually do it. Consistency is the key. And once you get a routine and you make it a habit, 
you can vary that form as necessary. Now, yoga is a great solution for this stuff because it's a combination of strength, flexibility, and range of motion all at the same time that you can practice. But just be careful because when you start, you have to find the forms and the guidance that you can do without hurting yourself. So ask for help. Take it slowly. So to summarize, get a baseline evaluation. Find a practice that works for you and is sustainable. Work it into your practice and get help as you need it. Range of motion is important to fast and efficient running form. There are many different flavors of stretching and practice to gain that range of motion that you need. Our modern life constricts our natural range of motion, so most of us need to work on it. Flexibility and range of motion can be your key to good running, to good running form, and injury prevention. And now for today's featured interview. All right, so let's get let's get started. This is good, you guys, being on the same microphone because uh, that way it's all on the same channel. So this is good. You guys are in the same place. Awesome. Awesome. So Kyle, Brent, Pease, we got introduced from Todd Sivan, who 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 helped you write the book, the. Uh, where there's a, where there's a wheel, there's a way book, right? Yeah, yes, sir. No, I was going to say I'm running for Team Hoyt this year. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I ran last year too for those guys. Yeah, so I know Rick and Dick and Brian Lyons and those guys. I've been running up here in Massachusetts for 20 years, so I've been running with Rick and Dick for for years. Really? Um, but yeah, so Todd's on that team, and he said you should talk to these guys. So yeah. I checked you. I checked you guys out. So give me the uh, give me the two hundred words or less on on who you are and what you do and how you got to where you are. Well, it all started five years ago with Brett did his first Ironman in two thousand and ten at Ironman Louisville, and I was just really enthralled by the atmosphere and every discipline. Um, and I'm a diehard. Sports fan, so I grew up watching ESPN and the Braves and all that. I always wanted to become an athlete and watching Brett compete against sports subjects in me to, to become a triathlete. So after Brett finished his race in 12 hours and 42 minutes, uh, we sat down. At the table, and I asked him all these sorts of questions. And my last question was, "Can the guy in the wheelchair do an Ironman?" I bet that, of course. Uh, yeah. So the so the the then the short two hundred version of who we are is brothers racing in Atlanta, uh, and we're hoping to inspire and motivate others to to join and to find their new limits. And we have a nonprofit foundation, the Kyle Pease Foundation, that helps support that vision and our dream uh, that there's a start line for every athlete of all abilities. Uh, and so we've been living that for the last four years. And if I'm reading it correctly, it looks like you're funding equipment for folks who want to get involved? That's correct. So we provide everything. So um, the equipment, the race fees, transportation if it's needed, lodging when we travel. I mean, we, we take care of everything. We also help them uh, do the training. And that's uh, that's everything, right? I mean, we, we can train somebody like you how to push. If you haven't done that before, we can help provide the training to uh, the athletes. Kyle actually just helped a kid who did his first Ironman. And Kyle would take the bus by himself all the way out to Conyers, Georgia, and sit with the, sit with him every evening once a month and help him learn how to do just the simplest tasks of packing his bags to go to a race. That's cool. Yeah, because then you're then you're really an enabler in that case, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah, that's great. You know, I was reading your your page, and the last big event you guys did was the New York City Marathon this year. Oh yes. Um. I ran that last year. Isn't that something? That's that's quite a quite a machine that race, isn't it? It's impressive. But you guys had an inter interesting adventure. I, I was looking at the pictures, right? Mm -hmm. And when you say 
when you say, you know, we're pushing the wheelchair and we lost the wheel, people think flat tire. <laughs> and I was looking at the picture. It looked like your wheel exploded, right? It was just like little pieces everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's completely shattered. Walk me through that that process because it, it seemed like, it, you know, and this is the classic thing about about doing endurance events, right? You have these highs and these lows, but at the end of the day, you learn something from it and you learn about people, and, and it's, it's uh, uh, and it's wonderful, right? Absolutely, yeah. We were um, we were booking it for about thirty miles, but um, around mile, I would say around mile eight, I noticed the wheel started to wobble, and I asked, "But can we can we um can we do this?" And he was like, "Yeah, just say a prayer." Um, <laughs> so, and then at mile thirteen. The wheels literally came off at 13. <laughs> and when you guys say the wheels came off, it means the wheel came oh, yeah. off. <laughs> and everybody had told us, you know, the funny thing is about Kyle and I is that we had done two marathons, but we've been going backwards. Our first marathon together was at the end of an Ironman. So right. we hadn't really, and that's a totally different experience. So we hadn't run a marathon together. And so everybody was like, okay, well, you know, the wheels might come off at 20. You know, that's when you got to be really prepared to fight and dig and all the usual cliches. And uh, we, were, we were just waiting for the wrong moment to fight. We thought it was coming later on in our day. It came uh, much earlier and in a much bigger way than I think any of us could have uh, anticipated at all. Right. So you're sitting there with a broken wheel and you're saying, okay, what do we do now, right? And uh, so what happens then? Uh, well, once the wheel came off, um, Brett immediately picked me up and started carrying me. And we made it only, only about 500 feet. And that's when I was like, no, it's not going to work. So we we sat on the the bridge um, with the medical personnel. And they were talking and they were like, we got to get Kyle to safety so they escorted us they carried me down to the medical tent and then that's when Brett tried to salvage the wheel and the New York police and firefighters uh, escorted him to a bike shop and I just sat there and, and was ready to get back on the course. I mean the thing is is that we tried for three years unsuccessfully to get into that race. And right. as our foundation has grown, you know, a lot of times, Kyle and I find ourselves at races that we have to have make the decision, you know, we can't race this one. We need to be here to support our athletes. Or, you know, we get kind of caught up in just all the stress of putting on an event with, you know, 20 people or 30 people or whatever. And, you know, New York was our opportunity, a race that we've always kind of had on our list that we wanted to do. And we were up there by ourselves. We didn't have our big support crew. We didn't have 15 athletes. We were just trying to open up a new category at a race that is iconic for runners. Do you think it was the equipment or the, the oh, it was every, beat it, it up? It was everything. I mean, you know, we, we, we were in a stretch of uh, three weekends in a row um, at three different races. We, um, we always competed in the New York, but we did the Marie Corps Marathon with the foundation. Yeah. And, um, and somebody used my chair, um, and uh, he was a heavier dude. Um, so okay. with the transport and... Yeah, it could have been anything. It could have been a pothole. The, it's the yeah. oldest chair we own. I, I think it was just a combination of everything. Yeah. Um, and everybody's like, yeah. why didn't you bring a spare wheel? It's like, well... For a marathon <laughs> in the biggest city in the world, it's not like you would have to position 15 wheels on the course to even have a shot to help yourself if something happens. Yeah, or um, put one on your back or something, right? Yeah, I mean, like, like a spare tire. If, if something like this happens again, I would hope that Kyle and I would both just look at each other and say, hey, we've kind of already proved ourselves on this one. What do you say we pack it in? Because <laughs> so the last so you couldn't get miles is the, is, was easily the, the hardest 13 miles that either of us has ever tried to, tried to tackle. At all. So you couldn't. So you couldn't find a new wheel with nothing. Uh, it's a custom. Nothing. It's a custom hub. The spokes are built right onto the hub. It's just. It's. There are no. There were no options. Yeah. So then, what happened? Because you did finish the race. Yeah, and we yeah. did. Then, uh, 
Uh, my twin brother lives in New York, um, so we called him, and it took him a few minutes to get over there. So we we huddled up, and one of the late officials came over and said, um, "Here's the paper to uh, disqualify." And Brett said, uh, "Give us one more second." And uh, from there we developed a plan and slowly but surely made our way through the next 13 miles in four hours. So you just run it on two wheels? Yes. Well, running's a relative statement there. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's the, the rest is kind of, I guess, history at this point is that I think this really is who we are without trying to pat ourselves on the back too much and that we grew up overcoming little obstacles and big obstacles and we grew up you know wanting to be athletes and here we were our opportunity to be an athlete with 60,000 other people and I think the easy way out for anybody is well you know you ran 12 miles you did a really good job you have been helping all these kids this year let's go ahead and pack it in and I just didn't want to come home and have to tell people well we just we the wheel broke so we stopped and I think if we told that story nobody would have had any less respect for us, but I wanted to at least say to them, hey, we tried everything we could. The problem was, is I think in my mind, once I tried everything I could, I felt like that was our chance to walk off the course. I think once we got back on the course, Kyle said, aha, we can finish. And, uh, you know, we had lots of brotherly moments out there and not always the good kind, but, you know, that's (laughs) that's the team part. That's what Team Hoyt is, or that's what really what walking with KPZ is, is we found a way together. Uh, as a team to to cover that 26.2 mile course. Well, I mean, that's what our sport is all about, right? Is every time you toe the line, you know, it's going to be an adventure and you don't know where it's going to go. And that's what I love about longer endurance events, right? I agree. That there's just something that's going to happen, whether it's weather, which, uh, you know, you guys have experienced that as well. Yeah. Or uh, the course, or you know, the equipment, or whatever. And and a lot, you're right. You know, it brings out it brings out the best in people. Some people will will blow it off at the first moment of challenge. Other people get stronger, and that's great to see. And didn't you have a couple of folks step up and help you too? We did, and and they're the re- they're the real reason we finished. I mean, we can say our determination kept things going, but uh, if they don't find us or if they don't give up their day, we don't finish that race. So. Uh, the first was a woman from Maryland that jumped in, and she was with us for about two miles, and then a gentleman from New York jumped in, and uh, between the three of us, we covered those last eight miles together to, to finish the day. Yeah, yeah, and you get when you get that far back in the pack in a major city marathon like that, there's a lot of drama back there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you ran into... Um, the weather down in uh, Ironman, Florida, they they canceled the swim on you guys? Yeah, that was in 2014. It was 21 yeah. degrees with wind gusting to 40 miles an hour. You're used to the challenges. Yeah. I'm still waiting for an easy race, Chris. <laughs> now, so you're lucky. You're lucky. <laughs> Whoever it is, uh, somebody thinks you need challenges. Yeah, well. You know, we keep trying to get into the Ironman World Championships, which everybody tells us that's the single hardest endurance event that you can do in a day. And that race offers you everything. And so Kyle and I have now been tested by everything. We've been tested by our own our own minds. We've been tested by the conditions. We've been tested by the courses. And we're, you know, we learn a lot about ourselves and about how we compete and how we get better. And, you know, I think Kyle said at the very beginning, you know, that he – He's always been a big sports fan, and we're kind of figuring this we're figuring this thing out together how to be better athletes and how to be better brothers and just better people. Kyle, I call out splits to Kyle. He knows our mileage. He knows the heart rate. He knows what's happening. He knows what to do. He knows when to he knows when we need to speed it up. He knows when to yell at me. You know, and, yeah. I, and I know and I know the same for him. I mean, it's a it's a total team effort. You know, if you take, if, if you try to find some similar comparison, right, for you or me, Chris, if we're running a marathon and, I don't know, our shoe bursts into flames and combusts, or I don't know, pick, pick an example, right, that makes some sense. It's really hard as a, as a solo runner or as, a, as just a single competitor to do that on your own. But when you've got 
something or someone behind, and you get that running with Team Hoyt. There's a bigger cause than just your, you know, competing in an event. Let's let's talk a little bit more about the foundation that you guys are doing here. You know, with everything, everything you've been through, and the and the people you're helping. You know, what are what are some examples? You must have some great success stories of of folks you you've helped. Yeah, I guess um, we have a young a young man, a young guy that that did his uh, first Ironman in the beginning of November. So that was uh, really cool to see. So there are there are so many other stories um, besides him that that really makes the foundation what it is. I mean, we've got. You know, we've got single, we have single moms that have, you know, that, you know, their schedule would make anybody shudder at what they do to just help their family survive and, and maybe thrive is a better word than survive. And they've competed their first marathon or their first half marathon pushing their son or daughter. And we've got, as Kyle mentioned, we've got, you know, a young man that just did his first Ironman that has an unbelievable amount of confidence now that he's never shown in the three years we knew him or, you know, families that have just sent messages to just say, you know, I never knew what was available to my family. And you guys have provided us that opportunity to have something together. And it's just such a, it's such an uplifting thing. I think really what it truly is, is that the experience we got at our first endurance race together, forget any of the individual pursuits. The first one we did together, we had this kind of aha. It was like, wait a second. There's nothing stopping anybody from doing this 5K or this triathlon or this marathon. And so come see what it's like. And what you see is people that are that grow. And just like I said, Kyle and I are better brothers or better people. We're hoping that they're not just endurance athletes, but they're better people and they're better moms or dads or sisters uh, because of their experience through the foundation um, for what we do. We've helped over 40, uh, excuse me, 50 families so far. And this year we helped 37 individual families uh, compete in some uh, endurance event. It's very powerful, I think, because you're 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 creating ripples, right? So it's it's not just the person in the chair or the person pushing; it's both of them that are getting growth out of this, and then all the people that they touch as well. So you're creating this ripple effect across the community with this, right? That must be very fulfilling for you guys. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's- you know, get to get to you know sit back and um, it just it feels good to to see what we have created. Help people. Yeah. So which which so what's your best story? Do you have one story that comes to mind? What's your best story out of all this adventure you guys are having? <laughs> you mean the funniest story or the best story? Hey, I I'm not qualifying. I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think. I think the single, there's so many, but I really think the kind of one that helped start to grow the foundation, I think the one that helped define what this is all about was Ironman Wisconsin in 2013. And, you know, we, we've said it twice now in our short conversation with you here, but we, we really, we both grew up wanting to be athletes. We both wanted to be, you know, running onto the field with 100,000 people screaming and, and cheering and that was what we grew up. And, you know, we, we, had, we had fake newspaper articles about ourselves that we wrote and about Kyle hitting the game-winning hit. And when you cross the finish line in Ironman, Wisconsin, there's 40,000 people standing at the finish line. And, it, you know, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And they're screaming, and you can't even hear yourself think. And we came across the line, and there's this just bright lights on us, and you hear the announcer go, you know, Kyle and Brent Pease, you are an Ironman. And that defined a lifetime of all of our stories. And, and, and I really think that that helped catapult um, the foundation, too, because some of our athletes saw us do that race um, on social media and on uh, uh-huh. TV, and we're like, well... If Kyle and Brent could do it, then I can, I can certainly attempt to do one too. Right, right. Yeah, good for you guys for setting an example and and uh, and doing what you can do. Right. Yes. I mean, I've, 
I see a lot of people always talking about what other people should do, but you know, if you can just do what you can do, you're going to pull other people into your into your positive gravity well, right? Yes. What are the what are the top three things you've learned from this? What should what should people take away from from your adventure? What do you want them to take away from it? Never give up. Anything is possible. And together, together we wheel is a tagline we use for the foundation. But I think what the lesson there is that you know together we can accomplish these things. Awesome. And we get guys say, "Well, there's a wheel, there's a way." There's a wheel, there's a way. Or in, or in New York's case, when there's not a wheel, there's still a way. There's always a way. <laughs> so you try it next next time with just one wheel, Kyle. <laughs> I sure hope not. They did invite us back, so that was encouraging. So what are your ne- next couple adventures? What do you got on the calendar? Um, well, I hadn't, Kyle and I hadn't even finished going through it. I've got a bunch of handwritten notes. I went old school. I've got... I've got 16 races on the calendar, which includes the foundation. The next big one is the Georgia Public's Half Marathon, which uh, it sounds like if you're down here enough, we'd love to have you run with our group. Last year, we had 92 total runners, uh, 22 of uh, which were in some of our foundation equipment being assisted by other runners. So that's our biggest one. And then Tom and I have started the process to try and get into the Ironman World Championships. Kona. Correct. Yeah, all right. Awesome. Kona's nice. Yeah, nice and hot. It won't be 41 degrees with with uh, chilly wind, that's for sure. No, you're going to have to train for that, oh, yeah. my friends, because uh, you get the, the, the headwinds and the sidewinds coming off the volcanoes there. The trade winds. Yep. So how can people reach you? They can start with our website. Uh, they can connect with us, of course, through everything that every, that everybody's got available. We've got a blog. Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, they can they can buy Kyle's new book and read the whole story, and uh, there's information in there on the foundation as well. But I think the best way is to just connect with us with whichever way they're most comfortable because we try to keep all the information out there about all the stories that we have, all our impactful stories and all our events and how to support and everything that, everything that we are. So would that be kylepsfoundation.org? Correct. That's the best one? Okay. Great. And the book is? Where there's a wheel, there's a way. There you go. All right. All right, guys. I guess I'll move us to the uh, the exit here. Any last thoughts? No, thanks for doing this, man. We appreciate it. No, I appreciate it, too. I hope to meet you guys at some point. Yeah, well, keep me posted, uh, really, Chris, if, you wanna, if you're going to be in town. It's March 20th, which is a Oh, Sunday. yeah, so... I should be spinning up for Boston at that point. So yeah. It's a perfect, perfect tune-up for Boston, although the hills go up, not down. <laughs> we don't mind hills. All right, guys, I'm going uh, to let you go. Thanks a lot. Thanks, right. Chris. Thanks, man. Cheers. We appreciate it. All right, have a good one. You too. Right. Bye-bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Mindsets, the power of understanding your mind. I completed Dr. Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, last week, and it's one of the best books I've read this year. The information and explanations in it really helped me understand some of the baffling and frustrating ways that people and I approach life's challenges. I have to credit social media, just a side note and my broader network for pointing this work out to me. I listened to many podcasts, and I heard her interviewed about the book on several over the last couple of years. This is one of the powerful things about social media. We have these individuals who curate that vast ocean of available information for us, and we have the opportunity to cultivate relationships, albeit one way and anonymous, with those people whose curation skills align with our needs. It's like having our own outer ring to your circle of influence that you can leverage to find insights that you might not otherwise have found. The key is to get these insights filtered through your network so that you don't get drowned in information. So anyhow, Dr. Dweck speaks about two different mindsets, growth mindset, fixed mindset. And she gives examples of how we learn to adopt one or the other in our approach. 
She gives great examples of how they manifest. And most importantly, she explains how to unlearn or relearn your mindset through practice. What is the basic difference between a fixed and a growth mindset? Well, a fixed mindset thinks that things are set the way they are and can't be changed. A growth mindset believes that things can always be improved or changed. The glaring example for me was thinking that people are born with a certain amount of some attribute, and that really can't be changed. And when you think in this fixed way, it severely limits what you can and will do with your life. From the introduction of the book, here's an exercise. I'm going to quote it verbatim. Now, the exercise is, do you agree or disagree with with each of the following four statements? Agree or disagree? Your intelligence is something very basic about you that can't be changed very much. Agree or disagree? You can learn new things, but you can't really change how intelligent you are. Agree or disagree? No matter how much intelligence you have, you can always change it quite a bit. Agree or disagree? You can always substantially change how intelligent you are. If you agree with the first two statements, that you are born with a certain intelligence and it can't be changed much, that's a fixed mindset. If you agree with the second two statements, that is a growth mindset. And it's worth noting that a fixed mindset isn't just about intelligence. You can change the word intelligence with athletic ability or math skills or empathy or relationship skills or any other area of your life. And you can have degrees of fixed or growth across the different areas of your life. You may think intelligence is fixed, but athletic ability can be developed. And you can look for those trigger thoughts across everything you do. The reason I loved Dr. Dweck's work is that I saw myself and my thought patterns immediately and was surprised at how fixed I was. And this was an epiphany for me right out of the gate. Those statements about being born smart clearly defined a fixed mindset that I had around this. Why do you care? Why do you care about fixed versus growth mindsets? Because your mindset colors the way you interact with the world. First, if you have a fixed mindset, you think there isn't enough to go around. And this causes you to defend what you have above all else. You act jealous when others succeed because this means there's less for you. And second, if you believe that you are naturally endowed with certain capabilities, you run away from situations that may threaten this view of yourself. If you have defined yourself as naturally athletic and you find yourself in a position where you're struggling, you'll give up when it gets hard. The inner logic is, if I'm naturally good at this, it should be easy. This is hard, so I'm not going to do it. At least I preserve my self-image that way. And this causes all sorts of simply awful and, frankly, self-destructive behavior. Instead of rising to a challenge and learning something new and getting that much better, you will make excuses and run from challenges. You will cheat. You will take credit for other people's work. You will try to drag down others who are having success. You will try to find the easy path. All of that just because of the way your mindset has developed. When setbacks and challenges happen to fix mindset people, they take it personally. Getting passed over for that job doesn't mean they should understand why they were passed over and use that knowledge to work on it and get better for next time. No. Getting passed over is a direct assault on their core personal image. It means that there were obviously politics involved, and they got screwed over. Or worse, it means that they are a bad person, and they should just give up. Wow, huh? How do you get a fixed mindset? Well, you get it from a well-meaning environment, which is really amazing. When you get praised for being good at something or smart, as your brain is developing, you learn to value the smartness the ability above the effort, the result above the process. And this makes you less able to grow and learn. When I was growing up, the prevailing popular parenting method for baby boomers was praise. 
My sister will laugh at this when she hears it. Russell kids are the smartest kids. To enhance a growth mindset, you instead praise the process. I'm proud of how hard you worked on this. You really took that challenge as a learning experience. Enough on the fixed side. What about growth? A growth mindset leans into the challenge. A growth mindset says, I may not be able to do it well now, but that can change. I'll give you a personal example. If you would ask me when I was a kid whether I was an athlete, whether I was athletic, I would have said clearly no. This is one of the reasons why qualifying for Boston changed me so much. It blew up my fixed mindset around my athleticism. And I began to think, if I can do this, then what other assumptions have I been making in my life that are wrong? You can see this in many of the transformational stories that we hear here on the podcast. People use endurance sports to break that fixed mind frame, and they blossom in other areas. Dr. Dweck goes on to describe how a fixed versus growth mindset impacts your attitude about sports, business, and schoolwork. And in her research, they're able to create mindsets simply by having the test subjects read fixed or growth statements before they take the test. Simple as that. If you tell people before a test that ability is fixed, they'll shy away from challenges. If you tell them anything is possible, they will work harder and longer at the problems without worrying about success or failure. So how do you get out of your fixed mindset and get into a growth mindset? Well, first, you have to notice where you have a fixed mindset, where in your life you are shying away from challenges because you don't want to look bad. Where are you jealous that someone else has done better than you? Where is your worldview fixed? Listen for that fixed mindset self-talk. And when you notice it, insert growth mindset talk. And one of the biggest red flags is when something gets hard. Maybe you can't win at a game or you can't get to a goal and it makes you feel incompetent or stupid. You want to quit. Because in a fixed mindset, remember, it's better not to play than it is to play and lose. At least if you don't play, you can't be stupid. Sense of self is maintained. In a fixed mindset logic, remember, if I'm so good, it shouldn't be hard. So listen for that signal when things get hard and you're afraid of screwing up. That's the fixed thinking. Instead, acknowledge that this is going to be hard, but there is no success or failure or being stupid. Approach the challenge with the goal of learning and getting better. In order to learn, it's going to require hard work. Lean in when you get those signals and commit to the hard work necessary. This is important because it's not just hard at the beginning, it stays hard, and you will fail forward as you learn. There's not much chance of me doing Dr. Dweck's body of work any justice in a short post like this, so either get the book or find one of the many places where she has been interviewed and give it a listen. I think you'll find it eminently worthwhile. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. That is it, my friends. You have successfully driven through the post-industrial landscape of episode 4-327 of the Run Run Live podcast. So keep an eye out for Kyle and Brent when you're out there at races. Say hi. I'm racing this weekend at the Galloway. Then I'm going to load up on a couple of high-mileage cycles to bulk up my distance and top off my speed and tempo with that. Who knows? Maybe I'll be ready to requalify. It's a scary thing for me now that I find myself on the precipice again. It scares me. But you never know how a race is going to turn out until you stand on the starting line and take the test. I got a guy recording the audio version of my Marathon BQ book. He does a podcast. He does a podcast called the Passerby Podcast about storytelling. So you can go listen to that. And remember, if you stop getting the Run or Live podcast, uh, go into iTunes and resubscribe to the new feed. Last week, in addition to driving to Buffalo, I was also on a plane in Alabama. When I got on the plane, I mistakenly sat in the wrong seat. I knew I had an aisle seat, but I sat in the D seat when I was supposed to be in the C seat. So the other side of the aisle. So this odd gentleman 
sits in the C seat across from me and is looking at his ticket all sort of confusedly. And he mumbles something about, I think you're in my seat. And I check my boarding pass and say, yep, you're right. But, you know, it's the same seat if you just want to stay there. And he says, no, he wants his seat. I'm like, okay, buddy, no problem. And we do the uh, the dosi do and swap aisle seats right next to each other. And the other passengers are giving sort of bemused smirks and ironically raised eyebrows. The thing is, now that I'm in my correct seat, the C seat, there's an empty seat next to me. It's the only empty seat on the whole plane. That's karma. I try to be super nice to people this time of year because everyone's so stressed out. If you interact with me on social media, you might notice that I don't jump on any of the hate and religion and politics stuff. It doesn't affect me one way or the other what you're angry about. You see, I figure I can really only control my side of the relationship. And even if you're doing a really bad job of executing your side of the relationship by, let's say, being a dick, I can still only control my own thoughts and actions. And so that's where I focus my energy. So as we stroll, you and I, as we stroll through the end of the year, why don't you and I try to be the best customer that the sales clerk has ever had? Why don't you and I try to be the best partner, the one that your loved ones deserve? Why don't you and I try to be that member of our community and society that holds up our end of the relationship? Because that's under our control. And while you're noodling that, I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. You're Now that I find myself on the prepices, prepices. (laughs) 